you for joining me today. Happy Yay. February. And for those living in the tri-state area, happy snowy day. I hope you're going to have some time to go out and just uh, play around in the snow because why not? Um, the way I look at it is if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow. So I'll definitely be out there at some point uh, playing in the snow later today. Um, anyway, for those of you joining me for the very first time, my name is Tashia Rasool. I'm a partner here at Bowis Law Firm. I handle the defense of New York workers' compensation uh, claims, and my focus is on construction claims. In fact, here at Lois, we have a team that's dedicated to uh, construction claims. I oversee that team. And because of our focus on uh, construction claims, we are able to give some good insight in how the claims should be handled, some trends that we see, um, the importance of uh, collaboration between the workers' compensation and the general liability claims. And that's one of the reasons we decided to start this webinar uh, focusing only on the construction claims. It's always the first Monday of every month, and every month I talk about a different topic. And of course, I welcome any uh, suggestions for topics you would like me to discuss. I have been getting some requests over the past couple of months, and I will be fulfilling those requests this year. As you may also know, I am also the author of my firm's uh, um, construction claims handbook. It's a handbook that's focused on defending uh, construction claims in New York. It's available both in hard copy and as a PDF. So if you'd like a copy, please let me know and I'll be sure to get it to you. All right, so what are we gonna discuss today? We are going to talk about New York's labor laws and I'm also going to talk a little about some trends in your construction claims that I think we should know about. Now, I know this is a, a, a workers' compensation webinar series, but I think it's important to understand um, the general liability component so that we can ask the right questions. We can uh, ask for the, the proper information. We can give the proper information to our general liability uh, counterpart. So I'll go over some of the, the basic laws today. And um, if you have any questions regarding anything that I talk about, feel free to send me an email and I will uh, get back to you. I'll email you back or I'll give you a quick call and we can talk about it. Now let's go into the law. The first is um, Labor Law 200. And there, there's just a couple that I'm briefly going to talk about. These are the ones that come up all the time that I think we should be familiar with. So Labor Law Section 200. This is the one that governs where the accident is caused by the manner which are the tools the contractor uses to perform the work. So, you know, if they use a tool that leads to an accident, this is the law that's going to be triggered. Um, this law is also triggered where the accident is caused by a dangerous condition. It can be something on the job site. Maybe it's a, 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 a hole or some kind of like a bump on the job site. This would trigger labor law section 200. Um, for Labor Law Section 200, it must be shown that the contractor had authority to dictate work that was being performed. So it means that they were on the job site and they were the ones who were telling the workers, the claimants, what to do, what not to do. 
um, it must also be shown that the contractor either uh, created the dangerous condition or knew about it and did not remedy it. So this is pretty straightforward. Um, the condition could have been created during the process of, um, you know, the, the, the kind of work that's being done. For example, a hole was being dug or, you know, a big, um, uh, some, some lumber was left in, in the middle of the walkway. And you also have to show that they knew about the condition and did not remedy it. So it can be something as simple as, well, you know, the supervisor walked there all day and he saw it and never did anything about it, or someone reported it to the employer and um, the employer did nothing about it. The next is labor law section 240. So this is a very, very popular one. You'll hear the attorney saying, well, it's a 240 claim. This is exactly what they're referring to. Um, it's referred to as the scaffold law. However, it doesn't only pertain to accidents that arise out of the use of a scaffolding. Um, it applies where there's some type of elevation that's involved in the accident. So it can be a ladder, a scaffold, even like a step stool, like a high step stool, or someone climbing on a windowsill to try to do work in the ceiling and the accident arose as a result. Any type of elevation-related accident triggers this law. And we can imagine why it's so popular, right? Because to do construction, the workers have to almost always um, be elevated at some point in the process in order to do the construction work. Like not everything is being done on the floor level. Um, so for section 240, labor law 240, contractors are required to provide workers with safety devices and measures to protect them from elevation-related accidents and injuries. Now, I'll note that even when they're provided with the safety devices and the measures to, to protect them, accidents still occur. So this is why it's important um, that we understand uh, how this particular law works and why it's always being, almost always being triggered in New York. And the only defense um, against uh, a Section 240 application is sole proximate cause, meaning that um, the, the, the accident was really only and solely the fault of the claimant and had nothing to do with the elevation or anyone else or the employer or anything on the job site. Labor Law Section 241. This one contains specific provisions for construction, demolition, and excavation of job sites. It addresses the falls and the cave-ins and how job sites must be arranged to protect workers. It's very detailed. It, um, it pretty much lays out how a job site should, um, should be, how it should look, with things that should be done and not be done. Um, and and, and if, if one of those uh, provisions is not uh, met or if it's um, if it's it's broken then this uh, section 241 will be triggered. Now those are the basic uh, labor laws that we see in New York. I'll tell you they are very claimant friendly or we should say plaintiff friendly. That's the terminology that's being used in the general liability claim they call the claimant plaintiffs. Uh, I feel like there's exploitation of these laws because there's always construction in New York City. We need construction in New York City. 
um, or New York as a whole, not even New York City alone, New York as a whole. And the workers are really, really using workers' compensation to maximize their general liability claim value. Now, how does this work? So, you know, an accident occurs on the job site. Now, they file the workers' compensation claim, they get medical and indemnity benefits. However, at the same time, they can file a general liability or what we also commonly known as a third party claim against um, one of the parties on the job site uh, using or filing it under labor law statutes. Or for example, uh, a 240 claim, you know, the guy was on the scaffolding, he was hammering some nails into the wall. Uh, somehow he stepped off the edge of the scaffolding and he fell to the ground, okay? Triggers 240. He has his uh, workers' compensation claim where he's working up to get his benefits his, his, um, and to stay out of work. And one of the things we see is that the workers' compensation claim is the, is the driving force behind the general liability claim because all of the body parts that are established in the workers' compensation claim, those are used in the general liability claim to increase the value. If he gets a surgery in workers' comp, that is used in the general liability side to say, hey, my guy got surgery. This case is now worth, you know, an additional $500,000 in the GDL side. So we are definitely seeing more and more general liability claims being filed when the accident on a construction site, and the claimants are using their workers' compensation claims to maximize the value of their general liability claim. And this is essentially the main reason why we are so focused on collaboration between workers' comp and GL, because we can help combat some of that that goes on. Okay, so we'll talk about that more in the webinars every month. I'll talk a little more about what we can do to actually defend against the workers' compensation claims um, and help to minimize exposure on the general liability side. We've also been seeing more and more attempts to put off fraud findings. Now, this is something across the board, but I'll tell you, last year, my office has received a number of calls from actual general liability attorneys saying, the claimant's general liability attorney saying, hey, our um, workers' compensation counterpart, the attorney has said, well, you know, the carrier or the employer is pursuing fraud in this case. Is there any way we can like hold off on that because we're discussing global settlements and we don't want it to delay it any further? That's the tactic that we're using. And the reason is a fraud finding in the workers' compensation claim can really, really diminish the value of the general liability claim. So my word to you, my word of advice would be, pursue that fraud finding. Do not let any general liability attorney convince you that you should put off a fraud, uh, a fraud trial because of potential settlement. Both can be done at the same time. There can be settlement discussions and you can proceed with your fraud trial. Um, one of the other things we're seeing is that traumatic brain injury, TBI, like the new spinal fusion. A couple of years ago, a spinal fusion really drove up the cost or the exposure in the general liability claim. 
now we're seeing every claim has a traumatic brain injury claim. I mean, there are accidents where the claimant never even hit his head and somehow they're finding a way to bring in a traumatic brain injury claim and that's because this uh, um, increases the exposure and the general liabilities at hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars. So we need to keep an eye out for those claims. Um, one of the things we should be doing is taking testimony regarding how exactly the accident happened, whether the claimant actually hit his head, and it's very, very important to look at those initial hospital records. Um, look at the initial hospital records, look at the records that come from the urgent care that they go to, the very first records where they go to the doctor and they tell the doctor what happened. And a lot of times you'll see it says, uh, no injury to head, no loss of consciousness. Let's use that. Let's have our IME comment that to determine whether the claimant even has um, a traumatic brain injury or there's any reason to believe that he has traumatic brain injury. Keep that in mind, traumatic brain injury, TBI, increases the value of a GL uh, claim by a lot. We're also seeing more global settlements, and I'm not talking global in terms of like workers' compensation, both indemnity and medical. I'm talking global settlements, meaning both the workers' compensation and the general liability claims are being closed out at the same time. A couple of years ago, this was not um, <clears throat> Uh, very popular, but it's becoming more popular, and honestly, I think our firm is one of the driving forces behind this because it helps to um, it, it helps to decrease exposure. And this is something I'll talk about. I have a couple of webinars down the line that focus on how global settlements can actually save the client, the employer, money, and why we believe it should be pursued. So these are some of the trends we've been seeing over the past year, the past couple of years that we are honing in on. We are trying our best to um, continue to follow them, come up with new uh, tips and tactics for, you know, uh, combating any uh, misbehavior by the claimants or attempted misbehavior by the claimants in order to maximize the value of their claims. And, and these come up during the, the upcoming webinars. I'll continue to address them. If you have any questions about them, please let me know. Okay, so how can we prevent exploitation of New York labor laws? And I call it exploitation because, frankly, that's what they do. The laws are so plaintiff-friendly, claimant-friendly. Um, they're easy to trigger, and the claimants just have a field day with them. So, number one, and one of the reasons we are focusing on you know defense of both uh, workers' comp and general liability claims. The reason I have this webinar and the reason I wrote the book is that there should be collaboration between the two sides. We should be talking to each other. We should be telling each other where our case is, what the next step is. There's a deposition. Body parts are being added or disallowed. The guy had a surgery. Um, you know he returned to work. Uh, his benefits have been cut. We've got a good IME or a bad IME. Um, we should be sharing this information with uh, the general liability side, and we should be asking what's going on on their side also. The next is conduct investigation immediately. All of the clients I work with, I encourage them to send out an investigation team. 
the moment you know of an accident, it could be in the middle of the night, call them up, send them out. You know, that, that's part of the, um, the understanding that the investigators will go out to the job site any time of day. Um, we need to secure the job site, get all the evidence, uh, secure the witnesses, because uh, if there's one thing that we know about a construction site is that it's so organic, it's living, and it changes, right? I mean, a worker can be there this morning, and then we never see him on the job site again because he completed his work and that was the end of it. So we need to get there as soon as it happens. Next, using collateral estoppel. Now, what this means is a decision in one court um, can be used in another court and the issue is not being relitigated. For example, if a body part was disallowed on the workers' compensation side, then that finding can be used on the civil side. Um, the parties cannot relitigate that issue. Collateral estoppel can be invoked. And finally, and this one's big, this one can really save a lot of money. Um, fraud findings. You know, use that fraud finding in the workers' compensation claim. Tell your GL attorney about it. They can use it to really minimize the value of the, the general liability claim because on the comp side with the fraud findings, the claimant is um, barred from receiving any benefits uh, in the future in the majority of the cases. And I say the majority of the cases because the judges do have the discretion um, this is something we're always pushing for, but sometimes there are fraud findings and claim it's not barred from all future benefits. But we push for um, all future benefits to be suspended. And, you know, this is something that we tell our GL counterpart that happened. And we've seen them use it either in actual litigation or negotiating settlements at mediation. Um, it really can cut off uh, exposure or reduce exposure by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Okay, so what are some civil milestones we need to know about? And now we might be asking ourselves, like, why is this important? Okay, where in the workers' comp side? We know how workers' comp operates. Now, we, it's, it's important to understand this um, so we can ask the right questions, right? Um, so let's let's start. The statute of limitations uh, for negligence claim is three years. Uh, if it's a public entity, meaning a public entity is being sued, uh, they must provide notice within 90 days. Once they blow this deadline, then they would be barred from bringing the claim against that public entity. Now, for all public entities, there's something called a 50-H hearing. This is pretty much a deposition that takes place um, very early on in the case, and a lot of information is obtained from the claimant regarding the details of the accident, his personal life, his personal background, uh, the damages he's seeking, and so forth. Um, then there is a complaint that's being filed, the official complaint with all of the claims that the plaintiff is bringing against the, um, the entity. Uh, then there is an answer. There's also a bill of particulars that lays out all of the um, the injuries or the damages that they're seeking. It's important that we know when these are filed, and even more important that we actually get a copy and review them. Every time there's a deposition, we should know when there's a deposition, whether it's um, a lay deposition of claimant or a witness or a medical deposition. 
status of the payment's doctor or the island doctor. It's also very important to know that mediations are being um, scheduled or contemplated. You will see weird stuff happens when cases are going to mediation. For example, you know, I, I, I noted earlier that attorneys are calling up saying, hey, we're discussing settlement. Can you guys not, um, you know, pursue that fraud uh, trial that we have coming up in a couple of weeks? We think we can settle this one, right? Or um, attorneys are saying, hey, let's, um, let nothing, we don't want anything to happen at this hearing. We think we can settle this one and not have to discuss anything of the upcoming hearing, whereas we have an IAB to suspend benefits or something like that. Um, so it's important we know when mediations are coming up so we can have all of our ducks lined up. We know what to tell the GL component and we can also um, trace weird behavior by claims attorneys or their GL attorneys also. And even more importantly, I think it's very important for your workers' compensation defense attorney to be present at the mediation. So definitely something we should know about. We should also know about um, any discovery on the general liability side, IMEs, expert reports. We'd like to see what they say. Um, similarly, we can share what, um, what our IMEs are are saying, of course, uh, you know, any medicals that we share with the GL side are done with um, the proper releases, something we'll talk about later in the year. Um, so yeah, these are the civil milestones we should be familiar with. Um, equities know what they are, know generally the timeline for them. And every time you hear about it, say, hey, can you give me the pertinent documents that are related to this so I can let my workers' comp defense attorney know what's going on? Or, you know, hey, you have a deposition coming up. Um, but at the same time, we also have the claimant's testimony going on in the workers' comp side. Maybe you can use the transcripts. Absolutely. Uh, the information can be interchanged in that regard. All right, so that's it for today's webinar. I hope that was a painless overview of New York labor law. Next, next month, I'm going to talk about um, be applicable in your workers' compensation laws. I'll go through the milestones that we should be sharing with the GL component. Um, if you have any questions regarding today's presentation, feel free to send an email or you can give me a call um, and we can, we can chat. I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, that's it for today. If you're living in the area where the snowstorm is currently intensifying, it seems like, um, stay safe. I hope you get to go out and play with your kids if you have kids or even by yourself as adults. Um, go have some fun and uh, I'll see you right here next month. All right. Take care, everyone.